the hardest part, uh, it's going to be mental. So the hardest part is just going to be that taking that first step. And if you're really passionate about just let that passion drive you forward after you take that first step. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed. This is your host, Annalise Corbin, and I am as excited as always today to bring two guests uh, who are going to talk to us about the starting of a program called Love a Sea Turtle. And if nothing else, you have to love the name of this organization and be really, really excited about the potential of of what it's all about. So we're going to dig in today and have a conversation and find out what Love a Sea Turtle is doing, how it got started, and how how other folks can get involved. So joining me today is Daniel Sokolovic, uh, who is tied to the founder of Love, a sea turtle, um, and heavily involved, he and his wife, um, and I suspect family, but we're going to get into that as well, around creating a program in a nonprofit that's all about youth leadership and development uh, with an environmental focus. And so we're very excited, uh, Daniel, to have you join us today. We are pleased to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Perfect, perfect. And joining Daniel is Brittany Turner, whom Brittany started out uh, five years ago volunteering um, with uh, Love a Sea Turtle and has stayed involved um, in a number of different capacities, which we'll talk about today. And uh, uh, Brittany is uh, still a student, I believe, yes, at East Carolina University, an undergraduate student? Yes. Yes. So uh, welcome, Brittany. We're excited to have you as well. I'm so excited to be here. So, Daniel, I want to start with you. So, so tell tell us what Love a Sea Turtle is as a nonprofit organization. What does it do, and why did you guys get involved and start this thing? Our daughter took a school field trip, and we think school field trips are so integral to student learning. They took our daughter when she was in fourth grade down to the Karen Beasley Sea Turtle Rescue and Rehabilitation Center in Topsail Island. She went down there and she came home in the car with her mom and she said, Mom, I have to do something to help the sea turtles last. Love a sea turtle, L S A T. And it was born. And then a friend of ours uh, said, Well, a good friend of mine at Duke University, Dr. Karen Eckert, who you know is an expert in sea turtles, and she was part of the uh, program there, the Nicholas School of the Environment. She was head of it then, said, Well, let's go meet with her and find out what you can do. She told us when we met with her, she said, Casey, I want you to act locally, but think globally and do what an eight-year-old can do. Driving home, Casey said, well, the only thing I can do is make cookies and have cookie bags and cookie sales to sell them. So she started from there. So she started making Citor shaped sugar cookies. (laughs) Mom and I would drive her around to uh, tailgates at ECU. Grocery stores, Walmarts, stand out front, and she would sell them. And one dollar cookies, you know, a year later led to her donating several thousand dollars to Sea Turtle Hospital. And then she said, Well, I need to have something more to attract adults. So then I 
We developed a coffee blend with Joe Van Gogh Coffee called Sea Turtle Blend Coffee, wow. which went into national distribution in fresh markets and is one of their biggest sellers online as a cause coffee. Those, that money gets donated annually to the Sea Turtle Hospital. And then she started doing uh, beach cleanups and it went from there. And then she said, well, I have to do more. I have to be able to share what I love with students who don't get to do what I get to do. Because we taught her at home, to whom much is given, much is expected. But she said, well, I want to do something more. But then she said, well, I want to have a website. I want to develop Love a Sea Turtle. And after two years, I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to invest my money to run your program. If you're going to do it, you're going to have to self-fund it, run it like a nonprofit, run it like a business. And you have to repay me for the cookies, website, <laughs> everything. So she did. And she, went, she began running it like a business when she was 10. Wow. Wow. And then, and, yeah. So then she said, well, I want to do a summer camp program for boys and girls clubs and at-risk youth. She developed that program. She went out to see people who could help her. We got tied in with a person who's actually from Ohio originally, Dr. Melanie Duffin, the food master, who gave us the nutritional plan because we really like nutrition, the outdoors. And it's just, it's just gone from there. And it has evolved. And then she said, well, this needs, you know, she's run it all these years. And she said, well, I need to ensure that students run it and students get to dictate what we do and how we do it. So it's always been, we've never had employees, it's always been student-led and uh, adult advised. Mm -hmm. So they dictate the programs and, and it has evolved. And Casey, who graduated uh, uh, four years ago, has turned the helm over to the youth that are leading it now. And they get to decide what we do and where we go. And the, it has evolved from sea turtle cookies and sea turtle coffee to a summer camp program to year-round hands-on learning to community service programs to garden programs. Um, it's all about youth leadership. We're giving them a platform for their voice. And that's what we do and that's what we endorse and we fund. And people say, well, what does your Holidays of Hope party where we do a can drive have to do with this? So it's still about a youth saying, this is the way I want to go. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. And we give them that platform. But we try to tie everything back into environmentalism. Mm -hmm. Everything we do. That is so. absolutely an amazing story of how a nonprofit organization not just starts and a kid getting inspired by a hands-on field trip, something out of the traditional sort of classroom setting that says, hey, this is going to be a passion for me. And fortunately, a child who had a family environment that fostered said passion um, and turned into something that has a life of its own. Uh, that's, to me, part of the story that's so remarkable. Brittany, so... So let's sort of talk about your entry point in all of this thing. So at, at this point, then, as you sort of join or get involved in this organization, it's it's kind of sounds like um, from Daniel that it's kind of doing its thing and that Casey has sort of pushed it on, on its way and out the door. And so tell us a little bit about how you how you found Love a Sea Turtle. Yeah, so I started my freshman year of high school. I started by running a 5K that Love a Sea Turtle was hosting. And from there, I found out about all the amazing programs they were hosting, what they were doing in the Greenville community for the environment. And so after that, I started by volunteering at one of the summer camps they were doing. And you can hear Dan tell the story. <laughs> 
I showed up to that summer camp that first day. I did not talk to anyone. I was one of the most shy people. I don't know why I thought I could be a camp counselor for people. I stood on the little turtle beach and not talk to anyone. I barely talked to the kids there that I was supposed to be a camp counselor for. But it was a life-changing experience for me. I saw the youth I could impact these I mean, they were the underserved youth in our community, and we were um, immersing them in STEM-based activities. We were giving them experiences such as kayaking, teaching them how to ride a bike. We were doing water testing with them, nutrition, um, hiking, all these things that they wouldn't otherwise experience. And I mean, I came back for four more years and ended up being one of the directors of the summer camp, and I loved it. But that's how I started with the camp and I went with it. And from that summer on, I became a year round volunteer. Mm-hmm. I became, you know, a commodity at every Love a Sea Turtle activity they were having, every event they were hosting. I now lead most of the events that's happening. I'm, like I said, I'm a year round volunteer and now I help other youth lead their um, initiatives that they host. We have many other high schoolers um, in the program, and I help them find that what they're passionate about, help them lead their initiatives, um, help them take forward whatever they're willing to do. While I was in high school, I led an initiative called STEM Explorers, mm-hmm. where I worked with um, underserved youth in their community and helped them find their voice and what they were passionate about. While I was doing that, I found my voice. And what I was passionate about was... Um, seismic blasting off the coast of North Carolina. So I uh, did a letter writing campaign to the governor and I went to boys and girls clubs and I wrote thousands of letters and had, well, I had youth write thousands of letters (laughs) to the governor and I hand delivered those. And I used my voice uh, about something I was passionate about to help the youth find their voice of what they were passionate about. And it was just very inspiring to me to be able to help these youth um, do something and uh, have this experience. Which is, which is really, it's a labor of love, you know, oftentimes. And, and whether, whether you've self-identified this way or not, Brittany, you have found yourself to be quite the teacher. Right. And you can sort of just tell from the passion that you sort of bring to this. Right. But that's, that's half the battle. Um, you know, learning to find your inner voice and then helping others figure out how, how to do that themselves. So, um, I would say bravo, uh, to you for that. So, so you started out as a freshman in high school and you are still heavily involved, um, throughout your collegiate career in this space then. Yes, ma'am. So, so Daniel, I want to talk a little bit about as the program evolved and it got to the point where um, Brittany um, became a part of it and others very much like Brittany and the camps are running. Talk to us a little bit because this is going to be one of the questions that people want to know is, so you have this, this great idea, you have this, this, the inspiration, you have a kid who really wants to run down this road. But ultimately, you know, as you've described, this program has to sort of figure out how to be sustainable and live on its own. And that is one of the single hardest things that happen in any type of community-based action, whether it's traditional education, it's advocacy, it doesn't really make any difference, right? The hardest thing is to 
to not just get something launched, but then to have it be sustainable. So talk to me a little bit about how you how you helped take the program to, to get it to the point where it could have a life beyond those who started it. It has taken 15 years to, to figure out the sustainability part. What we knew early on is that we had to design a model, number one, that we have no building, we have no uh, rent, no overhead, and we're all volunteers. So it's been sustained by that. Had we had to go down the traditional route of having executive directors and paid employees, it might not have been. So our model is very inexpensive and it's easy to sustain. And that was first off, okay, if we're going to commit to that, my wife and I being retired mm-hmm. and having all professional board members to help us, then it would have been different. So it doesn't take a whole lot to be sustainable. And then over the first couple of years, it was writing small grants to YSA, mm-hmm. Earth Echo, Oceana, getting just small amounts to sustain what we needed, and then seeking local support from local corporations, whether it was Bojangles, who's mm-hmm. you know, native here to our, our region, to Grady White Oats and their foundation, who helped us with small donations. We've been able to do it like that and to nurture. But then also we had you know, Casey in this generation. They are so slick and savvy with social media and, and, and Facebook and different. They understand the need to give somebody. But what what did I get for my couple thousand that I gave you? And then we're able to show them metrics and likes and you know shares. Your banner, your sign, what we did went out to all these people, so they all know that. So that's that's been where we we've, we've had to learn this business. Because my wife and I have no background in this, you know, we knew nothing about sea turtles. And if you'd asked us 15 years ago, would this be what we would be doing in our retirement? We'd have told you, oh, no way. I mean, you know, there's so many other things we'd like to do, but this has turned into more than a passion. It is, it's, it's you know, 30 years of marriage, 15 years of running Love of Sea Turtle, and 25 years of raising kids. This has been the most, it, it is, it is part of the fulfilling life that we have had. This is it. Yeah. Brittany, yeah, five years, five years. But, you know, we were also the other night, we had our end of the year reflection. One of the students that was there, she's a teacher. She teaches biology. She has a baby. She was one of our original volunteers. Wow. Yes. So it really has come full circle with her teachers. And uniquely enough, when you spoke about Brittany, Brittany is in the School of Education. She is going to be a teacher first. Oh, that excellent. Yes, it's, it's funny. You picked up on that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, absolutely. And you know, that's one of the other things that we need is that we 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 collectively need people who find things that they're passionate about, who can then bring those passions into our the variety of educational settings that in the 21st century we now have the opportunity to offer. So whether that's informal education through uh, outreach programs, summer camps, after-school programs, you name it, or more traditional in-school settings, we still need people who can... Um, adapt that sort of applied and hands-on learning opportunity and make that the everyday experience um, for our kids. Because, you know, to your point and your experience that you had with your daughter, I mean, she walked away from that initial um, experience with those turtles uh, was something that she just believed adamantly in. And I suspect no matter what she's doing, that that's something that stays with her for a lifetime. And certainly, clearly it has for Brittany or Brittany wouldn't have been this long-term volunteer all the way through high school and college and so on. So 
it has been transformative. And then we realized, and Casey had talked about the impact that she was making with going to Boys and Girls Clubs. And then she wanted to increase that from just doing a one-off program in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So do continuously throughout the year. And then it also evolved where Casey realized the experiences that we learned with our daughter as she transitioned from middle school to high school and then preparing her for college, oh, this is another need. And then Casey said, well, we need to switch into the gear. How can we help my fellow classmates and the 20, 30 kids who are part of the summer camp counselor program write a resume, Mm -hmm. take college tours, learn how to interview, learn how to prepare themselves and position themselves to be a student that is going to be selected for a national scholarship. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, that has been an area that we have wandered into like a, like a, a sea turtle that journeys. We have wandered into that. So we work with students to work on their resumes, to work on uh, their, their college applications, to craft their essays, talk about what, what they want to do. I mean, we've done that and our organization has, in the state of North Carolina, which you are familiar with, mm-hmm. we have multiple park scholars, NCSS, North Carolina School of Math Science students. Yeah. We have Moorhead Canes, we have Levines, we have ECU Honors and Scholar students, and we have multiple national Coca-Cola Scholar winners who come out of our program because of the lessons that Casey helped pave. Mm-hmm. So, okay, here's a student, Brittany herself, highly decorated student. Right, right. And so... For, for for all of the participants in this program, one of the things that I found particularly intriguing um, in looking at it was the fact that it's you, you you really focus on the youth or student-led initiatives, right? And so I really love that. And so, Brittany, I would love for you to be able to sort of walk us through just a little bit about how how the decisions get made, right? So you're going to take on a new program, a new idea. And just um, from our listeners, you know, um, if you go to Love a Sea Turtle, and we will provide all the resources um, when we post the episode uh, for the website and whatnot, but you will see a list of programs, um, uh, River Guardians, Paint the Drain, the Green Team, Plastic Free North Carolina. So tell us, Brittany, how, how did those individual initiatives not just get started, but have enough sort of legs or, or, or sea legs, if you will, right, uh, to actually become a thing that as an organization you sponsor and you continue to do, that, that becomes more than just an idea on paper, but is an actual action that's taking place. How do you guys make those decisions? What's that look like? So it all begins with the youth's idea. So many youth in our programs have many ideas. They all have different passions. So if someone is really passionate about art or stormwater or wherever their passion is, it's whatever their idea is, whatever they want to do. And we just lend support and we offer them as many resources as possible, get them in contact with the people they need to talk to and try to get them, you know, opportunities to apply for grants or funding and just offer them as much support as possible to be able to make their idea possible. Like that's our main goal is, you know, all these you know, so many people have ideas and they just never get done, but they are possible and feasible ideas. It's just, it just needs support. And so that's our main goal as an organization is lending support, lending help and giving the youth what they need to actually put their idea, you know, in action. Right. A, a process that Brittany went through when she started hers is something that we've also uh, experienced at different youth events. And we, 
in terms of writing the small grant. Mm-hmm. And at the Youth Ocean Conservation Summit, which is Sean Russell out of Moat Marine Lab, he does an event where he asks you to write a small grant. And so we have copied that and, and made it our own, where we ask them to do a smart grant, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. And then for us, we have to make it smart, right? sustainable. So tell us how you're going to do it. So every one of the youth, they've gone to the Youth Ocean Conservation Summits over the year, and then they've attended our youth leadership programs in the summertime. Here's my idea. Write your grant. Tell us, tell us your grant and, and fill out the box where it says SMARTS. Tell us how you're going to do it. Tell us how much money you're going to need. Give us your budget. So they're walked through that mm-hmm. process. And then we decide, yes, we're going to fund you. We're going to help you seek funding. And when we ask money from our funders, we fund them. So we micro-grant them. Mm. It started. Mm -hmm. And then they go out and raise their own money. Now, the young lady who's running the North Carolina Monofilament Recycling Program, still don't know it, Ava Tant, she self-funds. She goes out and raises Plastic Free. He's been getting sponsors of Plastic Free NC to fund his, and he writes grants also. They all have done it. Mm-hmm. So they, they've all had to go through that process. When we went to the Points of Light Summit, they went down there. Uh, they had a youth component. All of them went down with their pitches, ready to pitch the panel there to get money. So they're asked to get up, stand up and speak and publicly talk about it. Here's why you know, I should get a grant. And here's my smart presentation. So when they do that, they look very intelligent. And you know, we work. they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. This is the pitch. This is my smart sprint pitch. Yeah, that's absolutely fabulous. And we see the same thing. We have a number of different programs that we advocate for also at the Past Innovation Lab. And we have found those very same components, right? That when you lay out and you get um, the the participants, um, students, whether they're young uh, students, elementary, middle school, high school students, or even our collegiate students, um, to sort of walk through an RFP process, very similar, um, all steeped in design thinking, and you have them pitch. It's incredibly powerful. That is such an effective way to get students to really think about and flesh out multiple components or facets of, of ideas that they have. I love that. So in all of these cases, the programs, for example, that are are on your website, then those are actual programs that are still running in some capacity today. And so my question for you then is, are those programs, so for example, Paint the Drain, which is about stormwater awareness and storm drain stencil program. I just chose one off your list. But so for example, as as that program sort of moves forward, is it something then that other groups, uh, girls and boys clubs, 4-H clubs, Girl Scout, Boy Scout schools, can they pick those things up? Brittany, and then do variations in, of their own, or do they just support the existing program? How does that work? Because one of the things I can tell you that people are going to be really, really intrigued about by this is, hey, I love the idea of this thing. How how can I bring it into my own classroom or into my own after-school program or my own 4-H club? So how does that work? Well, each of these programs is a little different, but for example, with Paint the Drain, we get many different groups like for example, boys and girls clubs for a lot with um, high school groups like mm-hmm. honor societies or like groups like that to come out to our events and help us take the drains. And with the recycle art programs, we'll go into boys and girls clubs and help us make the art to go out in the community. And with the cycle last programs, we'll get them, we'll go out and get the groups like the police athletic league to come and ride bikes with us. And 
So we usually find groups in the community that meet the needs of the project and go and do the project with them. And so these projects are then um, ongoing. So back what we talked about earlier, there they were all sustainable. But literally, these programs, in one capacity or another, are are doing. They're actually actionable today. Yeah, they're uh, at least they're they're, at, they're they're very replicable in their own area. And you know, we enjoy being contacted by folks. Who, well, how can I do this in my area? Right, right. For example, the stow it, don't throw it project it can be done anywhere. The stickers are available. They can be personalized. The paint the drain, excuse me, the plastic free NC. Mm-hmm. Um, David Yoon, who heads up that program, his sticker that is out there, he actually has it uh, set up on file. He has one for every state. Wow. Already. Wow. Anyone can contact him here. Let me give you a sticker for your state so you can go out and print it. Mm-hmm. You know, so for a couple hundred dollars, you can get a thousand stickers and you can be in business. Yeah, so that's perfect. Yeah. So it's really easy. You know, recycled art. There are so many links that we send people. Here's a recycled art link that you can go to. Start this in your area. Uh, Cycle Last, that's a community biking program. And many areas have community sure, biking sure. pedestrian and cycling permissions. Um, keep your bottom clean. That's kind of niche specific because mm-hmm. it's a stupid hiking program. Right, right. Water. But you can do river cleanups. They mm-hmm. advocate that mm-hmm. side of the river, all that stuff. Uh, the River Guardians Project, if you saw the water monitor, that's why we were originally funded through State Farm, through their Youth Advisory Board. That was a big one where we put uh, rudimentary water testing equipment and then Vernier Lab Quest and Hot Spectre Photometers actually into classes. We, we, we upfitted 12 schools. Okay. After that, because purchasing $6,000 mm-hmm. per school wasn't sustainable, right. we, you know, we, we worked with Philippe Cousteau and Sean Russell at Earth Echo International. They do the Water Challenge Program. Mm-hmm. So that is an easy way for a school to enter into that one. So we don't have to do it. We, we direct schools to those folks. Right, right. It's highly replicable. And that, that is a, a very successful program for us and for Earth Echo that we, you know, we really enjoy being a part of. Right. And so for communities that are contemplating doing programming like this, um, one of the things, questions that we get asked all the time as we send, you know, just a tremendous number of resources um, sort of out into the world, schools in particular, uh, depending on where you are, if whether it be the U.S. or, or other parts, or parts of the globe, are always looking to have programs that are standard aligned, right? So that they don't have to um, take inside of formal learning environments, and I'm really speaking about those formal learning environments at the moment, that they can use it in place of something else they would traditionally be teaching. And so, Brittany, um, since you are headed down the path to uh, to being a teacher, so have have the have any of these programs been pulled or set aside and been uh, state or, or federally standard aligned? Or do you have any any aspirations to do that for some of these programs? Because it seems to me it would be that difficult of a task to do. So where are you with that? I mean, I, I definitely think it would be... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, did yeah. I catch you off guard with that question? Because I know teachers are looking at this, they're like, oh my God, that sounds really, really cool. But you know, my principal will never let me use it because, you know, it's not standard aligned or I don't have time to do that sort of piece of the work, right? So that's a pretty sort of traditional sort of approach. I will say long-term, my goal is to go into like administration with mm-hmm. school. But I definitely think, you know, like public school system, there's a lot to like work on. There's a lot to be done. And I think it would be really cool to like have a lot of this, uh, like 
have a lot of positive disruptions mm-hmm. implemented into our school systems. And there's a lot of things that I've seen a lot of states will do, like with our summer camps and with like, we have a water, an interactive water lab here in the community that mm-hmm. I, along with a few other people involved with Love a Sea Turtle do, um, that we do in a water lab that I think could be really beneficial to have in our school systems that I think would be awesome mm-hmm. if we implemented in our classrooms. I think one day it would be amazing to see that be offered to every child instead of just a few or mm-hmm. the ones that come through our summer camps or the ones that are able to come in through our water lab. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not hard to do. And I would think that there um, definitely would be some grant funding out there that would make it possible to sort of do that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the summer programs because you've mentioned them several times now. So um, are these a day program? Or are they a week-long program? What's the structure of the summer programming? And how do you make the decisions around the structuring of the summer programs? So we've done it differently uh, for different years. We have done it. We've done day programs before, but we've also done week-long programs. Mm-hmm. But with both programs, we generally do the same things. We do we their STEM-based camps. We do a lot with water testing mm-hmm. and with STEM programs. But we also did give kids the opportunity to ride bikes and teach them how to ride a bike if that's something they haven't learned mm-hmm. how to do. We do kayaking. We learn about nutrition, hiking, and we do a lot of outdoor activities because that's something that. Unfortunately, um, today, a lot of kids don't come outside. They don't. I hear that over and over again. It's that sort of lost thing, right? Going going outside, yeah. Um, and then we've also done some stuff with scuba before mm-hmm. um, and like snorkeling camps and scuba camps. And that's another um, camp structure mm-hmm. we've done some stuff with. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Daniel, when you sort of think about the the multiple iterations, I assume over the last fifteen years that you've seen the various programs and the camps, what would you what would you say are the highlights for you um, that you see consistently over and over again, which sort of get to proof of concept, I guess, when you think about the way the programming's work, the programs work. For me, it's been the growth from having you know four summer counselors our first year. To this past year where we had 40 counselors a day. Wow. Yeah, for, for 70 uh, youth we were serving. So we, we do a, a, a what we call a counselor, and then we do a junior counselor. So we have a, a seasoned counselor who served the season with us, training a junior counselor. So they're paired up together, and they get a group of kids they lead around. So we see that continual growth from that. That is, you know, for us, it's like, okay, that's an affirmation. It's being successful. People want to come. And we don't advertise or even seek counselors. Mm-hmm. They just keep appearing and calling us or emailing us. How can I get involved? Be word of mouth. And the other thing is, you know, when we drive around town and a student sees me in my sea turtle shirt, and they come running up. Man, I went to your camp. That was the greatest thing. And I said, well, what was your most you know, fun thing that you did? Riding bikes and water science mm-hmm. and the nutrition. and that doesn't happen once. It happens all the time, every day. So sometimes I don't even want to wear a seat turtle t-shirt. <laughs> I'm going to get run down by a parent or by a student. Right. That, and then also the demand for the program from organizations who want our services. Mm-hmm. And so that keeps growing. And then every time a student comes and says, I have an idea, I want to pitch you. Or I heard, you know, you help students do this. Can you help me? And it is a seven-day-a-week job now for my wife and I. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's seven days a week, we, we go, I mean, 
you know, we're here and available to the students when they need us. And quite often, their lives are so busy now, Monday through Friday, Saturdays and Sundays are the only time they can get to us. And so our home is open seven days a week. We do it. It grows. Now, our past, our, our recent reflection, we had 165 people there. Mm-hmm. Probably could have taken more. These were just the families and the youth associated with it. Uh, it grows. But, you know, going back, you were talking about the tying to the standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, our programs through the Earth Echo World Water Lab are completely tied to the NC Core curriculum. Mm-hmm. Our water lab, the last steam discovery lab at River Park North, is set up to, do, to deliver programs that are absolutely tied to the curriculum. Perfect, perfect. And every, everything else that we do, whether it's plastic-free NC or cycle last mm-hmm. or storm drains, are tied into the water cycle part of the NC Core curriculum. And the teachers can do the same thing because it all has a science backing. Sure. The, the nutrition component, that comes out of Food Master, mm-hmm. which is a national program. From Dr. Dufferin, you know, out of Na- um, NIU right there in, in Illinois. Mm-hmm. It's tied to the curriculum. Everything we do, we do tie it back. So there is formal learning through an informal method. Exactly. And working with Food Master, we've designed what is called the fan cart, fitness and nutrition. So we have just a you know a, a little plastic laminated card that has information on that's a quick hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that says, hey, today, why don't you need Gatorade? This is why you should be drinking water instead of Gatorade. Right. And in our garden project, we have garden signs in there that talk about the benefits of tomatoes. You know, why tomatoes? And then that absolutely is tied to the core curriculum. It gives them the facts and the science behind it. So we tie that in. That's so perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect because obviously, you know, like I said, when teachers are looking to bring these amazingly innovative programs that they they find, whether on the internet or in their own communities, you know, the, one of the big struggles that I hear repeatedly from schools and teachers and communities is, you know, how do I make time to transition my classroom or transition the experience of my students and to be this more hands-on and applied when I've got this, you know, this canned or this rote curriculum over here that my district or my community has invested in. And so oftentimes what I I spend a lot of my time encouraging folks to do is to swap it out, right? So not add it, not add it on, but do it in place of. So I'm thrilled to hear that that um, you're making it easy for the teachers to be able to do that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of um, uh, sort of best recommendations, I guess, um, really from both of you. You know, as as uh, as folks are contemplating doing something similar, what's the advice that you have, both on that? How do I get something up and running and started, and then how do I how do I make it sustainable and and sort of build momentum for it? And uh, I toss that out to to both of you, and and either one of you can answer the question, but. You know, oftentimes those are some of the questions that I get all all the time is, hey, you know, love a sea turtle sounds awesome, but how do I do something similar in my community? I'm not on the coast. My kids don't even understand, you know, sea turtles, but, you know, you know, we've got a buffalo ranch, you know, around the corner as an example, right? Or we've got this massive cactus farm. And what I always tell folks is that, you know, you, you take and you tap into that local resource and that's the thing that you use as a driver. But it's one thing for me to be able to say that, but they're really looking to, to folks like you who've actually implemented uh, utilizing your local resource as their guide for how would I do this? So, so Daniel, let's start with you. What um, what would you tell folks who are who are contemplating running down that road? It can be done anywhere, and, and it's funny because this year we ran into Zach Rago, who's the 
chasing coral and the chasing ice guy. And he came out here recently. And he's located in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. They have the largest youth scuba program in Boulder. And we used to look at that. And we always said, how in the world do they do that? Mm-hmm. So we finally got to ask him that question. But anyway, you know, we talked to kids. Our whole program focused on our camp program is called Upstream Downstream. And, and, and we always ponder, how do we make the young person in Kansas care about putting a plastic bag out on the side of the road? How's that going to get to us here? Is that giving them those connections. Mm-hmm. Is, is tying it in. Everything you do upstream has an effect downstream. So no matter where you're at in the United States, you're going to have a downstream impact. And it doesn't have to be about impacting sea turtles. It can be about impacting the Gulf. It can be about impacting what's going on in Texas or Colorado or going down to Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still sending water there, but that type of thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you know, it's like that. So getting them to care. And that's what we tried to do. And if someone has a cactus from you're right, utilizing what their strengths are, what they have around them as their resource. Then I would tell anybody, start small. Ambition is great. You know, start small and let it become organic. Mm-hmm. And if it's organic and it grows, then run with it and see how it can keep going. And then allow the students to dream and allow them to figure out this is what I want to do and this is how we're going to go. And as the adult supervisors and people behind the scenes, how can I best support them? We let them struggle mightily at times, but I don't let them fall off the cliff. We don't let them fail. If we see them running off the cliff, you might want to think about this. Here comes Socrates, and I'm going to say, <laughs> what you know, because you're about to drive off the cliff. This is not possibly the best decision. We need to rethink this. So we don't let them fail, but we have had failures. Sure. But there are failures that we see that are going to happen, and it's okay because it's part of the learning experience. So mm-hmm. Brittany is shaking her head. So you can you can tell that she's like, oh yeah, I've experienced this, you know, this potential <laughs> to fall off the cliff and someone's helped me sort of redirect and come back around. So Brittany, what would you like to add? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brittany, what would you what would you add to that? You know, again. Thinking about, you know, somebody out in the middle of Iowa who says, oh my gosh, you know, Love a Sea Turtle is the most amazing uh, organization I've ever heard about. And I want to do something very similar um, in my communities. What sort, what sort of advice would you have for folks? I would say the hardest part, uh, it's going to be mental. So the hardest part is just going to be that taking that first step. And if you're really passionate about it, just let that passion drive you forward after you take that first step. And if it's something you're really passionate about, you're going to go flying forward after that. And just let that passion drive you and you're going to do something amazing from there. Yeah, and and I see that all the time. You know, we uh, we actually have little uh, sticky notes uh, printed for our teacher uh, training and professional development programs that we do in STEM. And at one point, I, I had um, printed on these uh, sticky notes, uh, teacher passion. And to your point, right, we're very deliberate about that. You know, tap into the thing that you love because if you as the adult love it and can be supportive of the student learners sort of in that space, they're going to pick up on on your excitement about it as well. And I would imagine that you've seen that numerous times in your own journey with teaching kids. I want to uh, to thank you both very much for making time to talk with us and to share your story. Um, it's absolutely remarkable. Um, 
in the sense that I just love the fact that you have figured out a way not only to tap into folks' passions, but more importantly, to uh, to foster that sense of creativity and scale and commitment. And that there's a deliberate process around the work that you're doing uh, to sort of scaffold youth to become these amazing adults who are going to go out and be part of their own communities and to care about the world that they live in. So... Um, I want to thank both of you very much for making time uh, to share your story with us today. It has been a pleasure meeting. Thank you. Uh, You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.